just a little bit about where we are. This is the last class on the membership vows, and then next week we will go over Three Rivers' core values and our purpose statement and how that plays out in what we do. Um, but this morning it is our last membership vow, uh, membership vow number five. Let me pray for us and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your church. We thank you, Lord, that you have made it clear that you don't call a group of strangers to have a, uh, only a personal relationship with you, but to have a corporate family relationship with you. That you equip other believers specifically in areas that we need encouragement and correction and help. That you build a body and you delight in doing it. And Father, you are the one that makes things beautiful. And we pray that you would do that in our church and in our midst, that you would help us, Lord, I think especially with this vow. Um, we are people who do not like submitting in any way, shape, or form. We do not like it. From the garden on, it has been in our nature to want to rule ourselves, to want to be our own judge, our own God, our own moral compass. How hard it is, Father, for brother or sister uh, to correct us, to challenge us, to question us on our behavior. Uh, so, Lord, we know we have absolutely have to have your help in this. Um, we know we can probably pray for humility from now until we meet you, and it will not be enough, but we ask for it again this morning. Will you humble us? Will you humble us, Father, uh, because you delight in those who are humble. You fill up those who are humble. You lift up. You are for, you are with those who are humble. And so we ask this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. I'm going to read a couple quotes from uh, Dr. Ed Clowney, the late Dr. Ed Clowney, um, uh, on his, his book, The Church. Um, he, he writes, uh, this, was his, this was really his passion, um, the church. In fact, when you would talk to Ed, uh, he, he would... Um, he was continually frustrated that the PCA and the OPC and the EPC weren't one denomination um, and would talk about these meetings that they had way back when, when things were starting. And um, in, uh, I think it was 82 or 83, um, we had what we call the joining and receiving. The PCA received um, the Reformed Presbyterian Church U.S., I think it was RPC, ES, something like that, uh, into membership. So all of those churches became a part of our denomination, and it's rare to see that, where uh, two denominations will align. Um, and he was part of those talks, and it was one of the things he would mention. It's how we got Covenant College, how we got Covenant Seminary. Um, those were part of that other denomination that were included. And it appeared to him anyway that one of the reasons... I don't want to get it wrong. It's either the OPC or the EPC. One of the reasons that we never did join as a body was we wanted them to join us, and they wanted us to join them. <laughs> and, 
and it just gave him such great grief. Uh, and so when his book, The Church, came out, published before, before he died, I, I was sure to get it and read it. Um, so there's a lot of good stuff in here. But this is in his section, The Church in an Age of Pluralism. Um, the importance of the church, to be sure. But if the church, rather than Christ, becomes the center of our devotion, spiritual decay has begun. A doctrine of the church that does not center on Christ is self-defeating and false. But Jesus said to the disciples who confessed him, I will build my church. Um, I have a good friend, Jewish believer. Uh, his name's Nick Skriloff. Uh, he's goofy and just wonderful. We're going to get him here one Sunday. He and his boys are going to come. Uh, he lives in Charlottesville. Uh, he, he was the one who made all the Jewish jokes because he was one. He was a Meshuggah. And um, he, he wrote the first check to our church plant in California. And he says, hey, put this in your next letter. If you can get money from a Jew, it's worthwhile. <laughs> you know, so so that, was, that was Nick. He would uh, constantly say it. But all of his emails to me for those five years in California would end with that quote. I will build my church. And it was a comfort to me. He always wanted to remind me, Mark, you can try all these different things. You can work as hard as you want. You can be nice and friendly and kind and open your home and bend over backwards. But you're not building his church. You're just his servant. It belongs to him. He goes on to say, to ignore his purpose is to deny his lordship. So do you realize that building a church, a local body, is God's purpose? We wonder why he's not returned, why he, why he does what he does. It's to build his church. This is what he loves. And you've heard me say that before. Like my favorite thing as a father is Thanksgiving, when we get to sit around a meal together and I have my children with me. Uh, you know, Tammy's gone this week. She went to be with her nephews, and she texted me last night. It's like, the nephews are fighting. You know, and here Tammy goes, drives all the way to Denver, longing to be super Aunt Tammy that has gifts for all of the boys. And, and she witnesses this, right? And I can't help but think that that's how our father, he looks at the church. He's like, it's my family. I have given my very own son's blood to unite them. Can't we all just get along? <laughs> but he's building it. It's his job. Um, and so after that, he says, the good news of Christ's coming includes the good news of what he came to do, to join us to himself and to one another as his body, the new people of God. I'm going to go ahead and read this now because I don't want to hold this in my lap. But when he talks about, uh, he goes into, some of the different forms of government. We'll talk a little bit about that today. Um, he goes on to say, um, according to the Bible, the church is the people of God, the assembly and the body of Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Each of these views of church has been favored in one of the major ecclesiastical heritages. Heritages. When you see in your note where it says Episcopal, Congregational, and Presbyterian, that's what he is referring to here. The Reformed family of churches has emphasized the church as the people of God. The sacramental churches, Roman Catholic, Episcopal, uh, are as the body of Christ. The Anabaptist churches as the disciple of Christ. And the Pentecostal churches as the fellowship of the Spirit. No doubt we are all guilty of tunnel vision. 
focusing on one model. So if you want to read on the doctrine of the church, you're hard-pressed to find something better than Ed Clowney. Um, all right, membership question number five. Do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? Um, I would write next to that in your notes, Ephesians 5, 1 to 21. If I have time, I'll go back and read it. But that, that, is, that is his application of the theology of Ephesians 1 to 4 to the church. Um, we, we often think about that as the husbands and wives, but it's really it's, it's the whole body. And it, he has to get to chapter 5 before he can say that, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's the, that's the concept that unites that whole chapter, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, uh, giving Christ deference, reverence, trusting in him, not just as our Savior, but also as our model, as our older brother, uh, we submit to one another. So this, this question of submission, it, I mean, it, it's what brothers did to each other all the time, right? Um, you know, Mississippi, you'd wrestle your boy and you'd wrestle your son or your, your older brother would wrestle the younger brother. And how did, how did the younger brother give up? And you have brothers that you wrestled with? What did the younger brother have to say? Uncle, right? Say uncle, say uncle. Right. And as I became an uncle, I realized what that is. I'm always beating on my nephews. Right. Just like putting them in their place. You know, I would say it's time for Operation Chest Deflation. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, it's time, boys. Uh, Mississippi, it was hogtied. Say hogtied. That means, you know, you got him like you would tie a hog and he, he, he's got no power over you. Um, but biblical submission uh, in Ephesians and the rest of Scripture starts in this mode. First, it's submitting to God. Uh, as long as we can keep that first and foremost in our head, I, I, and, and in ministry and in raising children, relationships, I am doing this for God. I'm ministering to people for God. I'm raising my children for God. I'm being a good neighbor for God. I am submitting to my brothers and sisters in Christ in an appropriate way for God. Uh, when we get to Romans uh, 16, 15, 13, somewhere in Romans, we talk about government authorities. Is that 13? 13, yeah. Um, we, we, we submit to government and authorities. Why? Because God has instituted it. And so uh, submitting biblically means we submit to God and to each other. Um, we say we will submit ourselves to the government and the discipline of the church. Um, and in our, um, we'll, we'll go over, yeah, we'll go over our, um, what, what that actually means as far as the government. But uh, just quickly, the governmental structure. What is Three Rivers' form of church government to which I will submit? Uh, commonly, there are three forms of church government, kind of the simplistic way of looking uh, all three do acknowledge that Christ is the head of the church, but how they do their church business um, differs. The Episcopal or the hierarchy, Roman Catholics, uh, Methodist, you'll hear of, of bishops, cardinals, a pope. Um, 
it, it, it is hierarchical in the sense that the, the decisions are made from the top and they work their way down. Now that's a simplistic way of doing it. Of course those at the top are going to listen to the people below them and all of that and the response back and forth from uh, other elders, deacons, pastors go up to the bishops. But, but basically decisions in the government is from the top to the bottom. Uh, very similar to a monarchy. There is congregational. Um, and congregational churches, you'll find many of the Southern Baptist churches are congregational. They vote on everything. Um, and uh, I've always thought that maybe that's why there's so many splits, because they have votes on the color of the women's bathroom and votes on how to spend this money. And will we spend the money on uh, the chandelier or on a new uh, piano? And um, just just lots of things get voted on. I, I, I'm not sure if that's why, but, but uh, congregational. Presbyterian means ruled by elder. So the word presbyteros is um, the Greek word for elder. So, um, but it is representative in nature. So um, later on this fall, we'll have another season of nominating officers. And so the Presbyterian form of government is quite similar actually to our US form of government. We vote for who will represent us. They make decisions on behalf of their constituency and they report to a higher house, Supreme Court. We have church courts, um, but for Three Rivers, um, we are ruled by elders. Now, elders, elders together form what we call the session. When the session meets, um, they have authority. They have authority as a session. They don't have authority as individuals. So you don't, you don't have uh, one elder that says, I'm an elder, you need to tell your, your daughter not to wear that. You're, I'm an elder, you need to tell your kids this. Uh, I'm an elder, you need to switch your version of the Bible. Um, they, don't, they don't carry authority as individuals. They carry authority as a session. So you'll occasionally hear me say the session has voted to do this. The session wants to do this. The session, they take vows one to another to submit one to another. And the session speaks as one. So um, if the session votes to uh, upgrade this building, putting a foyer, um, a youth facility, um, the session will vote. And if the vote is two to one, the elders don't go and say, well, you know, I voted against it. Um, it's the session. They're a member of the session and they have submit to one another. So um, the, we have three church courts. The session is the local court. Um, so it's comprised of me, a teaching elder, of ruling elders. Uh, in our church, we have Jake Allen and Bo Byers, ruling elders. Uh, we don't have an associate pastor, um, but, but the associate pastor would be on the session. We have associate pastors and we have assistant pastors. Assistant pastors are elected by the session and they don't sit on the session because they haven't been voted by the congregation. So oftentimes when a, when a PCA church has a, as, a, as a pastor, they'll add an assistant and give the church some time to get to know this assistant. Um, and and if, if that assistant seems to carry all the other qualities of being a good elder shepherd, then later on, sometimes it's a year, two years, five years later, the church votes and it's the way of the congregation saying, we accept you as an elder over us. 
Um, so that's the session. We meet uh, once a month or whenever necessary, whenever needed. Um, and this is who you would normally react, uh, interact with. Uh, the session is charged with uh, shepherding and teaching. So when we meet, we go over all the different ministries that are going on. We have reports from children's ministry, music, youth, preaching, worship. Um, and then we have uh, usually have what is an executive session or a closed session. We talk about any shepherding issues uh, that we are working with with different people. Um, session meetings are open. So if you ever want to attend one, you're more than welcome to come and attend one. We, we don't hide anything. Um, and, and you're free to speak. Um, so sometimes it seems like it's the, the, the hidden counsel of the old guys that are deciding everything. But um, you are you're welcome to come to a session. If we have closed or executive session, non-members, non-session non members are asked to leave just, just for the sake of the health of the body. So Tuesday, I'll go to Presbytery. Uh, we meet about four times a year. Sometimes there's, se there's separate call meetings for business that needs to happen before the next one. Um, the Presbytery, uh, I'm going to be on a new committee that we're starting this next Presbytery because we were the most cited Presbytery in the whole denomination last year. So we're number one. <laughs> well, I think we had 50-some citations uh, because we're... we're you know, we're, we're good old country folks, I guess. We forget to dot our I's and cross our T's. So most of it was just stuff we admitted. Like, like you'll read, uh, this candidate was ordained, but there's no record of uh, did he turn in his exceptions to the standards. So um, we're going to start a new committee because it, it's awful. We've been so bad at that. Let me tell you, though, Jake Allen is our clerk, and he's great. We send our, we send our minutes in. Um, so... Anyway, the, session, the Presbytery meets uh, for you if you're a member of Three Rivers, and let's say you have a grievance against another member and you come to the session and you're unhappy, you, you feel like it wasn't treated properly, or you have a grievance against me, um, the Presbytery is the next court. So you can think of the session being the local court, the Presbytery maybe being a uh, regional court. We have all of Oklahoma a little bit of Arkansas, and just a little bit of Missouri. Uh, we go up to Springfield. Um, uh, the Presbytery would meet and hear your case, and, and they would make a ruling. If you were not happy with that ruling, then you can appeal to the Supreme Court, <laughs> which is the General Assembly. General Assembly meets once a year, and um, the, the beauty of that is the General Assembly will also have courts that are comprised of presbyters, elders all over the world. And so a whole new fresh group of people will come and meet and read um, and, and, and adjudicate your case. That's not all they do, but that's kind of how you interact with it. Um, any questions so far on any of that? Who are the officers of the church? Um, so as we think about the government and the discipline, the officers of the church are the elders. Uh, they shepherd, they teach, they govern. They have spiritual oversight. In your notes, I have 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. <coughs> um, 
that's not really the first um, use of elder. Uh, early on, Moses has elders in Exodus um, overseeing family units, and, and God instructs him after Jethro, his father-in-law, tells him that you can't do this. It's way too much work for one person. Uh, God says, see who the Spirit of God is in and anoint them to be elders. So there, was, there has been this rule of God and this governing of his church. Um, and it's interesting if you read 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, if you read the book of Acts, when you get to Acts chapter 6, there are no deacons per se, ordained deacons, and the church is growing, and the apostles, it's actually a, a racial issue that's going on in the church. The Hellenists, the, the Greek widows, were complaining against the Hebrew widows. It's like, hey, you guys are giving the Hebrew widows, um, you're taking care of them, you're giving them food, but you're not giving the Gentile believers. Um, and so it, the office of deacon formally being instituted in the book of Acts uh, was, it, was an office of service. Um, and so when we get to our season of nominating, I'll have these little packets that you can read, and, and it'll kind of go over this again. And the idea is that you as a church, you look around. Who meets these qualifications? Who do I see in our church that, that does this, who we should then um, lay hands on and ordain for this particular office? Um, so I, fi I find it interesting in Acts chapter 6, the, the uh, apostles, well, he, he says it's not right in, in verse 2, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And um, so the, the deacons are ordained there in Acts chapter 6. Um, I, I skipped over the teaching elders and ruling elders. So we call it a parody of the two types of elders. And, and that just means um, they have equal authority on the church courts. Okay, so uh, at, at Presbytery, at General Assembly, um, I could be a pastor of a mega church, 3,000 members. I don't know what defines mega church. Um, and Jake, a uh, ruling elder in Grove, we have the same authority um, on, the, on the church courts. So uh, we call that a, par a parity of elders. In fact, when we set up our committees, we often have trouble getting ruling elders to be on our committees because they usually have jobs. <laughs> And teaching elders are able to take off a Tuesday at 2 o'clock to go to meetings in Oklahoma City where a lot of our ruling elders can't. So, um, but we have, in our, in our bylaws, we have a certain number of ruling elders and teaching elders. And, and, and the reason, again, is to keep it from being a, a separation from this ordained class of people that, that get to study all week long. And, and the people that are working two or three jobs and squeezing out hours in the evening to go and help and shepherd people, that, that there is a, a closeness between the two. So teaching elder, ruling elder. I'm a teaching elder. Um, though the one, um, I guess the one advantage of a teaching elder is on session, I have the, um, if, if, it's, if it's a tie vote, if it's one-to-one, -one, <laughs> last session had 25, so it was a little funny when I'm like, it's a, it's a tie. Uh, I have to choose between Bo and Jake. Um, I, I throw that deciding vote. So, um, and I moderate the meetings. So, hey, Mark. yes. Is every person in the PCA pulpit a 
No. No, we've had Jake preach here. And um, it's a good question. Um, Um, it helps. Uh, the session will vote on allowing someone into the pulpit. So uh, it's part of their authority over the, the preaching and teaching um, who, who is allowed in the pulpit. Um, if someone is to be... Yeah, it, again, it's up to the session. So, um, for instance, uh, was it the first Sunday of sabbatical? We had Brad Andrews. He came and preached. Um, he's a Reformed Baptist. Um, and so um, anybody that wasn't in our presbytery, licensed and ordained and called to preach, uh, I, I, I asked the session. Can we have permission to have Brad Andrews? He's an Acts 29 pastor, Reformed Baptist. Uh, can we have him preach I know I know Brad he's not going to come up here and preach a sermon on why infant baptism is wrong <laughs> that wasn't what he was going to do so um, but but yeah that's that's how it works um, PCA sacraments can only be administered by uh, a teaching elder in good standing. So if we have uh, a surprise on the hand of delivery, such a teacher need not make it to the service, but might not take the same husband to do. He can then allow it in the pulpit for whatever service or thing he's preaching. No, no, not anyone is allowed in the pulpit. Um, but again, it wouldn't have to be a ruling elder. It would, it would be, one of the nice things about having a session of three <laughs> is it's pretty easy to get uh, to meet and talk, either conference call, Zoom, and um, yeah. So the, the pulpit in probably every Reformed church is in the center. So you've probably been in churches where you see one over here and one over there. And, and um, the uh, job of the session is to not just teach and shepherd the flock, but to protect against heresy. And, and so um, Jake's next step is to be licensed. Um, and so he has preached here on occasion. He is a ruling elder, and so he was examined on theology um, by the presbytery, um, uh, written exams, oral exams, but he will be uh, eventually licensed to preach, and that means that he is, he is given an approval by the presbytery to preach in any of our churches. 
he has formally passed that test. In the interim, no, 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 he is a, he'd be called a licentiate. And uh, license is, uh, I think it's good for a year um, and has to be renewed. Uh, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, so when he preaches for us, I read his sermon word for word before he preaches it. He sends me his transcript and we talk over it. And the reason we do that is because he's not yet licensed. And so when Presbytery will look at our records and say, hey, this guy preached three times and he's not yet licensed, um, we're able to say, well, uh, here's the transcript of his sermon and, and he is under care and he has passed uh, the theological examination of a ruling elder. Um, but it's really to cover our bases. But, but that's the answer to your question. It is to protect against heresy. Yes. just me that's just us for that um, and again Jake is not yet licensed so once once he is licensed we would be more in order for our, our uh, bylaws and book of church order ordination yeah and so you can't be ordained uh, three things have to happen to be ordained you have to have this internal call I believe that Lord is calling me to ministry um, it has to be conferred by a, by a church. So we don't have guys who just go to seminary, pass all the written tests, uh, know everything about theology, and, and now they're ordained as a, as a teaching elder. Um, that's one of the three. So you, you have to have, um, sorry, the internal call. Then you have to have be approved by the presbytery. So, again, the presbytery, think of it, again, as a court. It has jurisdiction over our churches. Um, if, if um, and, and it's happened in our presbytery. If a pastor is, unfortunately, it's happened several times. A pastor is defrocked. A pastor has to leave. There is infidelity. There is um, uh, heresy. Um, the presbytery steps in and says, we're, we're your presbytery. We're your session. We will... We will take it upon ourselves to shepherd you until we find a suitable teaching elder to replace the one that's been lost. Um, for instance, um, for almost two years, you know, Sunday nights, every other Sunday night, I was going to Bartlesville. I was, I was part of the Presbytery's temporary session for that church. That church was seeking a pastor. Um, and so the Presbytery, uh, we, we submitted to the Presbytery. Here's, here's what's going on in Hope Church. Um, here are the things we're working on. Here are the issues we're dealing with. Uh, here are the finances. Um, so, does that answer it?
this um, yeah, this. Yeah, and I've had I've had interns, you know, where I sat <laughs> listening to them teach, and I try not to do it in public, but I had one that was just just <laughs> he. <laughs> I'm still friends with him, but he would <laughs> he started teaching something. It was completely wrong. I mean, just like I'm like uh, uh, hold hold on, uh, uh, I'm sorry, that that's just not right. <laughs> I can't I can't let all of these kids that are listening to this leave and think that's what the scriptures are, are saying concerning this. Um, and he was great. He was like, oh, man, I, I always heard it this way. I'm like, yeah, you heard it wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, so you have to think about the PCA was a reactive church. So um, it was a group that split. And, and as a result, um, there was, um, it, it's like, hey, what can we put in place so that what happened to that mainline denomination doesn't happen to us. So um, th that, that helps sometimes understand why things are set the way they are. For instance, in the PCA, uh, three rivers can, by majority vote, leave the denomination next week. We can, we can sever ties with the PCA, uh, join the EPC, become an independent church, uh, join the Southern Baptist Convention, um, and, and it's interesting that, that that can happen, and it has happened. Uh, one of the reasons is when the PCA was formed, um, and, and you'll, like First United Methodist, they're having this issue, right? The United Methodist owns that building. Uh, the pastor's retirement belongs to the UMC, you know? And so when, when the PCA left the, the main line, uh, churches lost their buildings overnight. Uh, Wilson Benton, the guy who preceded me in St. Louis, he said they voted to leave the USA church, and in the morning he got in, the locks were changed. It took him a year to get his books back. And so as a reaction to that, uh, for good or ill, the, the, the PCA has set things in place, and that's one of them. How can we be careful, super careful with what is taught? Um, so that's this vow, actually. Uh, that's the, oh gosh, that's the end of this vow. We'll, we'll pick up on this next week, okay? But that's the end of this vow. Do you promise to study the purity and the peace? That is, that is you saying, I'm not going to let Mark preach heresy. I'm not going to let Jake preach heresy. Uh, we sing this song. It's not theologically correct. Um, it, it is, it, we, we tend to think, person went to seminary, he uses a Greek word. We can trust him. <laughs> It is your job as a member of the church to protect it. And I just want to say this, and then I'll... I'll when, when we say purity without peace, that leads to legalism. Our church is going to be pure, and we're not going to let anybody do any of these things. Um, that, that can lead to legalism. If we say peace without purity, so we just all want to get along, that leads to a church that's full of license. Nobody's going to tell anybody they're doing anything wrong. Nobody's going to challenge anybody on how they're raising their kids. Nobody's going to, uh, we, we're just going to keep it on this level up here where we can all agree on a few basic principles. What we desire in the PCA is purity of doctrine and peace and community through the purity of doctrine. So we'll talk about it. We'll pick that up again next week. But that's, that's how the gospel reigns in a church. Uh, it, 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 keeps us from legalism, it keeps us from being licentious, 
um, the peace and the purity. It's hard work. Um, let me pray for us. Thanks, Father, for your church. We do ask, Lord, that you protect your church. Uh, that, uh, as the apostles say, when he leaves, she, wolves in sheep's clothing, thieves will come, and they will try to infiltrate among our ranks and to breed division and to teach falsehoods. Help us, Lord Jesus, we ask. Amen.